This morning we're going to be reading from 1 John, verses 29 through 49. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but from this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day Jesus descended to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was with Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. This has been the reading of God's Word. Y'all may be seated. Well, uh, this is our fourth week in our series called Seeing Jesus, the Gospel of John. And, and that's what we're praying for this morning and the coming months. We're praying that you and I, that all of us would see Jesus anew. Not the Jesus that we kind of make up in our heads, not the Jesus that we kind of hear about from other people, but we would see from the words of one who walked with Jesus, who wrote inspired words by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we would see Jesus afresh and new because there is nothing in the world that I want for you. There's nothing in the world that you need more than to see and know Jesus Christ personally to know him better than you ever have before, to meet Jesus. There's nothing that our city or that our county needs more than to see Jesus. Here's the effect that we'll have as people, as you, as we, as together, as anyone sees and meets the real Jesus. And this is the theme of the Gospel of John. It's at the very end of John, in John chapter 20. This is what John said. The reason that John said he wrote this book John 20, 30-31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. Jesus did a lot of things. He says, but 
These things, these things that I have written, these things are written so that you may believe. These things that John wrote down are written that you may believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that by believing you would have life in his name. That's why John wrote this book. That's what Christianity is about. That's the mission of Jesus. It's not just that you would be a good person or a better person. The mission of Jesus is not just, to, not just to, so that you could be a more moral person. The mission of Jesus is about you finding and having life in his name. This is how John described his experience and his disciples' experience of seeing and knowing Jesus. He said this in the, the passage from, that David preached on last week, John 1.16. He said, this is our experience with Jesus. For from his fullness have we received and grace upon grace. This is what it means to know Jesus, to have life, to have real life, to have eternal, fulfilling, not subject to death kind of life. That's what it means to know Jesus. To have life, to, have, to, to receive constantly from him the fullness of God, to receive grace stacked upon grace, stacked upon grace, stacked upon grace. That's what it means to know Christ. And it comes, John tells us, from believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that means, from, it, means it comes from submitting and knowing and following Jesus. And we see that how that happens, how we come to follow him in this passage. That's what it, we're going to see what it means to follow Jesus. There's a lot here. It's a long passage, and so we're going to be here the next two Sundays, this week and next week. From week one of this series, what we've been saying is the biggest question that humankind, any, any person in humankind has to answer is, what are you going to do with Jesus? So the, that's the big question every person has to wrestle with in their life. What are you going to do with Jesus? But this passage really causes us to focus in a more, a more pointed question to each one of us. Do you want Jesus? Not just what are you going to do with him, but do you want Jesus? Look at how Jesus, in our, in our passage that Allie read for us, look at how Jesus responds to those two disciples of John the Baptist who heard John say, this is the one I've been pointing to, and then they turn around and follow him. This is what Jesus says to two of his first followers that come to follow him. He, he says in verse 38, he says, Jesus turned and saw them following him, and he said to them, what are you seeking? What are you seeking? Or the language there is also, what do you want? What do you want with me? What are you seeking? What do you want to me? And that's the question that Jesus is asking all of us. He's asking, first of all, are you following me? Are you following me? Are you following me? Why are you following me if you are? What is it that you want from me? He's asking you that this morning. Are you following him, first of all? And secondly, why are you following him? And third, what is it that you want from him? Why are you following Jesus? Are you following him? What is it that you want from him? 
And what he's really asking us is what he was asking those two early disciples of his. It says, do you want me? Are you following me because of who I am? Or are you following me because something I can give to you? Or because you think you can see something cool around me? Or just seems like the thing to do? I saw a crowd coming after you, so I decided I would follow you as well. What he's asking us, what we want to ask for ourselves is, do we really want Jesus the person of Jesus, more than anything else in our lives. I'm not talking about the Christian answer or the church answer. I'm talking about the real rubber meets the road. What does your life and my look like on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday? What, what do we really want from Jesus? Why are we following him? Do we really want him more than anything else? And if so, are you willing to do whatever is necessary in order to follow him? I'm astounded consistently by the life of Jesus when you read the Gospels, how two people come after him. And I'll be honest, if you're, if you're a pastor just starting out, David, they're getting ready to go up to, to Plymouth. They're going to be starting a church. And like, you want to you grab anybody that will be a part of the church. Anybody that would show up. We would count people that were just driving by. Like, yeah, they, they pulled up in the parking lot. It was the wrong place. Let's count them. You're desperate to have somebody who will be a follower who will be a part. And Jesus consistently, when people come up to follow him, he doesn't say, oh, I'm so glad you're here. Please come and join a crowd. He says, why are you following me? He, he says, are, are you willing to give up everything that you have and come follow me? Are you willing to sell everything that you have and follow me? Are you willing to be like me and have no place to lay your head? Are you willing to give up everything in order to follow me? He says, unless you consider yourself everything in your life as worthless for the sake of knowing me, you'll never have any place with me. That's what it means to follow Jesus. It means that I'm willing to give up whatever is most precious to me in order to follow him. That's what it means to be his disciple. Being Jesus' disciple doesn't mean that I try to act like him or I try to emulate him. I try to be a good person like Jesus was. Following Jesus, being his disciple, is about realizing who he is and realizing what he offers above everyone else. It's realizing that how worthy he is above all other things to be worshipped and adored and therefore followed and submitted to above anything else. Because here's what's true. If Jesus is truly who John the Baptist pointed at him to be, then we must follow him. We must be his disciples. And that's what a, this distinguishing mark of being a Christian is. Christians aren't people of a code of conduct. Christians aren't even people primarily of a book, though our book is incredibly important. We are primarily a people about a man, about the God-man. We are a people about Jesus. We're not talking about learning from the life and teachings of a historical figure. Christians are people who have met. 
Hear this. Christians are people who have met, who know, who follow, who love, who obey, who serve, and grow in a relationship with Jesus. That's what a Christian is. And so these stories that we heard in our passage today, these are our stories. They point to how we come to follow Jesus. And the first thing that we see in this passage is that we should follow Jesus because he's greater. Greater than what? Greater than whatever. We follow Jesus because he's greater. Did you hear that in the passage? John the Baptist was an incredibly powerful, important prophet and minister. In fact, Jesus would say there was no greater prophet than John the Baptist. And yet here is John at the zenith of his power, the zenith, the zenith of his popularity, and two of his disciples listen so well to what he is saying. What was he saying? He's saying, there's someone who's coming. I'm pointing to him. I am not even fit to untie or loosen his sandals. There's someone who came before me who is coming after me. There's someone who is greater than I am. He's the one that you have to pay attention to. And then the next day after he told the people who were sent from the Pharisees, that's, that's who I am. They said, who are you? Are you the, a great prophet? Are you Elijah? Are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? He said, I'm none of those things. I'm simply a voice in the wilderness saying, prepare the way of the Lord because he's coming. There's one who is coming who is greater. Prepare the way for him. And the next day as he's ministering, Jesus, his cousin, walks, walks by and he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He points at him and he says, this is the Son of God. And two of his disciples, in John's, the zenith of his popularity, people are leaving the city. This is how crazy his popularity was. It would be crazy today. It was crazy then. He was out in the wilderness. He ate locusts and honey. And he dressed in camel's hair. And he stood out, and his message wasn't like warm and fuzzy. His message was, make way for the Lord is coming, therefore you must repent and be baptized. And the Lord was with him in such a powerful way. Droves of people were leaving the cities and villages and coming out to the wilderness to him. They were hearing the word of God proclaimed. They were being convicted of their sin and were going through baptism, being baptized by a guy who whenever he's on his lunch break is eating bugs dipped in honey. A, kind of a crazy kind of man being submit, submitting themselves to being baptized by him for the repentance of their sins. And here in the zenith of his popularity, he points to one that walks by who is even more unlikely than him in many ways, because John was crazy, eccentric, but son of a priest. Of a line of power and prestige and religious authority. Jesus is the son of a peasant. There's been rumors going around that his mother wasn't married. Something funny was going on there in Nazareth. Maybe he's a bit illegitimate, which would be, make him ostracized in their society. 
He points at him and he says, behold, this is the one I've been telling you guys about. And two of his disciples listen so well to him, they, they leave following John the Baptist and go to follow Jesus. Why would they do that? Why would two leave such a great prophet, such a great minister, why would they leave him? Why would John be okay with it? Here's how John described Jesus. He says, he came before me. I'm unworthy to tie his shoes. What is he saying? He's saying Jesus was and is God. And crazily, mind-blowingly, God has come in human flesh. John the Baptist didn't even fully realize, probably, from things that we see later on, all that he was saying at this moment, God simply revealed to him, this is my son. He heard God say it whenever he baptized him, probably before this, he baptized him in the Jordan. God spoke from heaven, this is my beloved son, and whom I well please, and the Thing that he'd been promised to see, the Holy Spirit came down and upon as the form of a dove and descended upon Jesus. And John says, this is the one I've been t- pointing out. He is God in human flesh. Let that sink in a minute. If you're a Christian, you've been around church for a while, uh, we talk about Jesus. He was God. He was incarnate. He was 100% God, 100% man. We say it so often that sometimes the True depth, the true weight of that statement doesn't really hit us. There are so many implications. I could preach for days, and I'd love to preach for days and days and days. But what is the implications of Jesus, of the second person of the Godhead, taking on human flesh? It's incredible. But here's one thing that's true about that. If it is true that Jesus of Nazareth was the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, the second person that God had taken on flesh, 100% God and 100% man. This is true. If that is true, then here's what's one thing that's true. We all have to rearrange our lives. If it's true that Jesus is the God-man, if it's true that Jesus is the revelation to us of the nature and character and person of God in human flesh, if that is true, if it's true, then there's only one way that we can respond. And it's why Jesus turns to those two of his first followers and he says, what do you want? What, are, what is it you're seeking? Are you following me out of Curiosity? Are you following me because of what you can get from me? Or are you simply following me because I am the Son of God? And if that's true, then you owe me to follow me, and it is your lifeblood to follow me. It is to find the recommunion with the true one who created you. One of the disciples was Andrew, who would end up being one of his. 12. We think the other one who is unnamed, it's a very good possibility, was John himself. John, not the baptizer, but John the evangelist who wrote this book. And Jesus would end up asking them, or rather commanding them, to leave everything they have in order to follow him. He had no problem doing it. The only livelihood they knew Their fathers had known, and probably their fathers and fathers before that were fishing, these disciples. 
And he calls and comes by them later on, and he calls them to come and follow him as his disciples. He would ask them to give their, end up giving their lives for them, for him. All of his disciples, he was consistently telling them and the others who would follow them, if you're going to come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. He predicted to Peter himself, who he meets in this, in this passage, he would tell Peter himself, you are going to give your life for me. He would call them to give up everything they have in order to follow him. He would call them to give up their lives, their very lives for him. And you know what would happen? They would end up doing so gladly and joyfully. If Jesus is God, if he's the son of God, then he deserves and even demands radical discipleship from you and from me. Radical discipleship. Absolute and utter submission. If Jesus is truly God incarnate, he calls us, and we must respond by submitting all of our lives to him, every breath, every talent, every ability, everything that I own, every relationship that I have, my mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters, my, even my own children. He says, come and subordinate them all to me. All that you own, all that you have, any potential you have in your life, come and submit it all to me. What is he calling you out of? What is he calling you out of? He called these disciples out of their lives of fishing. He called them out of their comfortable lives. None of those things were bad in themselves, but everything is submitted to him if we follow him. What is he calling you out of? It could be sin. It could be Habits, it could be unhealthy relationships. It might be some good things in your life that you've actually, in reality, put up above him. What is he calling you out of? And what is he calling you to? What is he calling you to do? He told these guys, later on he would tell them, hey, come follow me, leave your boats, leave your nets, leave the fish, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. What is he calling you to? What's he calling you to that maybe you've been trying to hold out from him? What is it you want from him if you are following him? Do you want him? Have you found simply having him and nothing else is enough? Have you found life in him? Have you found his fullness and grace upon grace upon grace in him? If he's God, that's the only proper response to him, to give him everything. We follow Jesus because he's greater. And then we follow Jesus because his baptism is greater. All four of the gospel accounts stress this. John said this in Matthew 3.11, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. In Mark 1.8, he said, I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And in Luke 3.16, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. 
And then even Jesus jumps on the bandwagon in Acts 1 when he's getting ready to ascend back into heaven. He says, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. You see, John was great, but his job was to prepare the way for the Savior. He said, I am not he. What's the difference? John says, I baptize with water, but he who's coming after me, Jesus, he will baptize you with the Spirit or the Holy Spirit. And what's John's point? What's the difference? What was John's baptism about? It was about repentance. John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. So we must repent. We must recognize that we do wrong. We must recognize how God sees our sin. Do you recognize that? Do you recognize the grievousness of your sin and my sin in his sight, God describes it as being odious to him. My daughter, youngest daughter, still wears a pull-up at night. And uh, in a moment of of, uh, convenience, in the upstairs bathroom, I took off the used pull-up and threw it in the can. Last night, I hear Megan and Landon upstairs saying, what in the world is that smell? It smelled like death was in that room. It was odious. It had brewed in there. It had turned into something even worse than it was originally. Our sin is odious in the nostrils of God. We must recognize how God sees our sin. It's the essence of evil to sin against God. It's the essence of evil to rebel against him. It's the essence of evil to think that we get to determine our own way and our own actions and our own conduct without submitting it to him. It's no small thing to be in rebellion against God. And then our lightness towards sin and worldliness grieves God. Our acceptance of hate and anger are outright rejections of him and God calls us to turn away from our sin and rebellion to him. And that was the call of John. It should grieve us. We, I pray that for each of us here, we would get a better understanding this morning personally, of how grievous and odious our rebellion is against God. The weight of that. Let it rest upon us for just a moment. If we understood how grievous it was to him, it would break our hearts. But it can't stop there. John said, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who's coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. That's a brand of Christianity or pseudo-Christianity that kind of stops with John's message and baptism. It's something that we're all tempted to follow into, where we sort of think of Christianity as, we, we think about 
there is sin, and therefore it says, come and turn over a new leaf. Stop doing that. Stop doing that sin and, and do this instead. And you and I have all been in services or, or been reading our Bible or listening to something, a podcast. They're like, man, I got to stop doing that and I've got to start doing this. I'm going to, man, I'm going to get like, sort of like, hey, I'm not going to, no more fast food this week, right? Like you, like you just, just, you look yourself in the mirror one day and say, I am totally changing tomorrow. It is all a new me. And then by Tuesday, you're like, ah, let me get these fries. And we do that, we suddenly, we get a sense like, I gotta stop doing that. And when we say, from here on out, I am not doing that, I'm turning over a new leaf. I'm gonna stop doing that, I'm gonna start doing this instead. It's not a bad message. It's just incomplete. The baptizer's message was meant to leave people wanting more. Oh, my sin is odious. I can't, no matter what I do, I keep sinning against him. I know I must repent. I know I must turn. I know I must come to him and be cleansed. That's why I'm coming to be baptized. I know I need to be cleansed. I need to be washed. I need to get this off me. I need to get it away from me. I need to change who I am. I need to change. First, I think I need to get rid of these things I've done, the, the guilt for that. Then I realize it's not just the things I've done. It's the things I'm going to do tomorrow. And it's the very nature inside me that causes me to want to do those things. Who can cleanse me? Who can get this off me? Who can get it out of me? Who can take it away from me? That's how his message was supposed to leave us wanting more, needing more. The problem is when we get a high off our increased moral performance, we feel our blood pumping by pointing to out all that is wrong around us. That's how it usually comes out. Because we can't look at our own sin for too long without despairing. So we'll turn it and we'll look at the people around us. We'll talk about constantly about how bad culture is, about how bad those Christians are, about looking, it might just be very personal, about family members or our spouse. We're just, we're just looking at how bad they are, the odiousness and all that's wrong around us. We, what we can tend to think of ourselves then is we think of ourselves as John the Baptist proclaiming, oh, you sinners, because I don't want to think about my own sin. But John's biggest purpose wasn't just to point out people's wrongs. It was to point to someone else who would come and take care of that wrong that dwelt deep within inside them and dwells deep inside you and me. There's something more you need, is what he's saying. And only he, Jesus, can offer it. Hear how he contrasts his message and his power with that of Jesus. He says, I baptize water, but he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Sure, be baptized. Baptism, by the way, is very necessary as Christians. It's a very important thing. If you've never been baptized, you should be baptized. But today, as Christians, our baptism reflects an inward grace, something that's already happened that only Jesus can do inside of us. We need to be baptized by the Spirit of God, by Jesus. You must, you and I must be baptized by Jesus in the Holy Spirit. It's what makes you truly a Christian. It's the only thing that can enable you to even follow Jesus. You would be baptized, have his spirit poured out upon you and within you to remake you from the inner being of who you are 
Not just an outward cleansing, not just saying I'm going to do better, but something that comes in and by the fire and power of God's spirit comes in and remakes you and I in the very core of our being and who we are. That's what you need. If you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit, if you've never been, become a believer, if you've never had Jesus pour out his spirit upon you so that you don't just try to change your outward, but you're changed from the inside, that's what you need today. And believer, where are you? Are you aware of your sin? Are you aware of its continual odiousness and how it grieves your heavenly Father? If not, then you'll forget your need for Jesus to be your baptizer. You'll forget your great need for him to give you and sustain life in you. Are you conscious of his pouring out his spirit upon you today, right now, or are you falling back into John's baptism alone? Are you falling back into religion as a, sa as a savior, as a salvation? Are you looking to your own works and efforts? Are you, as a believer, do you have a good day if you feel, I am doing well? Or are you continually crushed by your lack of performance, by your sin, by how you can't hold it together? If you're continually crushed by your lack of performance or you feel with pride because of how well that you're doing, you're missing the point. You're looking to your own actions. You're looking to John's baptism and outward cleansing instead of looking to Jesus alone as the one who baptizes you in his spirit and is your righteousness at the right hand of the Father even now. Are you following that less perfect way? Are you living by only part of the picture? John said, I can only offer you this, a baptism of repentance, but you need more. You need something greater, something deeper, something that changes and empowers you. Christian, Jesus still baptizes his children in the Holy Spirit, and you have need to be constantly filled with his spirit in order to sustain you and give you life. Are you experiencing that? Or are you relying on your own strength and power to live a life you can't live on your own? Are you satisfied with part of the picture? Or do you see if Jesus is the Son of God, then I owe him to give up everything that I have for him. But I can't do that unless Jesus himself pours out his Holy Spirit upon me and enables me to do so. And I can't do that today or tomorrow as a Christian without him continually pouring out his spirit upon me to sustain me and empower me in that life. What are you seeking from him? Are you seeking something from him? Are you following along on the edges? Or do you see you are the son of God and in you is life and fullness and grace upon grace upon grace. Christian, come this morning as we open the table. Come with open hands and open mouth and say, when I take this bread and I take this cup, remind me that you offer your fullness to me. And I need it. I need it to sustain me and change me and keep me. And if you are here this morning and you are not a Christian, come talk to me. 
Come talk to me so that you can receive of his fullness and grace upon grace. And receive life by believing in his name. I'm going to pray and they're going to come forward to offer communion to you. There'll be a station on each side. If you come forward, receive the bread and the cup if you're a believer in Christ. Make your way back to your seats and then I'll come forward to lead us in communion together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are life, that you offer us life and fullness of joy. Lord, forgive us for our sin. Forgive us for viewing our worldliness and sin lightly. Forgive us for following you for things that you give us, for simply asking for help in my daily life instead of submitting my daily life and all that I have to you. Lord, speak to each person this morning and show us where you're working in our life, what you're calling us to, and what you're calling us from, and to see that you give us everything that we need in order to follow you. All the power and strength. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray.